Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the Great Analysis Podcast. My name is Ahmed Hassan, and as always, we have a very interesting guest today with me is Kelly Wall. Kelly is a security analyst. He has a history in international organizations like the ICC and and others. And he's very passionate about humanitarian affairs and other security. And I would love to hear more about her career and what she's up to and what she's looking at right now. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me this morning. So, Kelly, I would love to hear a little bit more about your journey and what you're doing right now. Could you like lead us a little bit into that? Absolutely. So the the journey started with my graduate studies when I pursued a master's degree in human rights and democratization in Venice, Italy. It's a joint master's program where I studied the first half in Venice and I focused my thesis in security and constitutional laws in Uppsala in Sweden. And from there, I pursued my first internship at the International Criminal Court at the Investigations and Analysis Section, IAS, as it's known, at the Office of the Prosecutor. And from there, I met a wide range of professionals in the security intelligence industry from many intelligence agencies, uh, so Europol, Interpol, and others. And this is where I was truly decided in pursuing this as a career. And from there, it led me on to other international organizations, uh, UNESCO namely, and a private intelligence firm in London. And here we are today at the Senate of Canada. Very interesting. Uh, I heard you say that you did uh, your course in Venice, Italy. I mean, there's worse places, I guess, to go to school than Venice. Correct, yes. <laughs> but what I think maybe it's interesting for people to know how I know you, because I think it was five or four years ago uh, yes. that you and I, yeah, that you and I first talked. And I remember um, that you were starting off your career and you were just, you just done at the ICC. And yes, you were looking correct. for other opportunities. And I was like, uh, I remember because I even spoke about you. And I was like, oh, she's so impressive CV, but I wish, you know, that, that I could bring you on board back then. But you turned up really well, actually. You know, you, you did really well. And I'm, I'm, uh, as I said the last time we spoke, I'm, I'm super proud of you for where you are right now and what you've been able to achieve in, in a very short amount of time. What was the ICC like? Like, what did you do there? How did your day look? So the ICC was an experience that really did shape the rest of my career. I would say that was the launching point um, to decide that intelligence security is what I want to pursue for as a, as a career. So as a, an IAS investigations and analysis section intern, each intern, I what I can say is is, is assigned to a specific case, an ongoing case. And we work directly with the prosecution, the team, the investigators, the the trial lawyers, and we are assigned tasks related to the the ongoing investigations. So that would be tasks, whether that would be research, analysis, as well as having the opportunity to attend trainings of how to use specific tools in the industry. So with that, that would be either research tools or mapping tools or 
any sort of um, even workshops that help improve the skills necessary so that one can continue in this field with the necessary aptitudes. What do you think was your, what you've learned, the most valuable lesson, I guess? Hmm. I would say the most valuable lesson that I have learned in the industry is patience, believe it or not. It would be correct. As a, an intelligence analyst, it is patience because often we are looking for, I would say, bones in an egg. And sometimes we need to be reminded that not everything can be immediate gratification. Not everything will be found immediately, even from you know, harvesting the information to composing the report, to presenting the report, to presenting your findings, to disseminating information. It is a, it is a repetitive process, but it's a very important process. All right. And that, that's something that I find interesting, what you just said there about the ICC. So when you work on a case and you do the research, and let's say you find something that is important for the prosecutors, does that mean that when they take it, that there is a possibility in discovery, for example, that you can be called to defend your finding? Correct. Yes. So this is something that we were told that it is a possibility that you would be called if your findings or if the the report or the evidence that you had submitted as an intern, as a staff, it is a possibility that you may be called to to the trial. Did that ever happen? No, it, it has not happened. No, it, not, it has not happened okay. for me. <laughs> yes, correct. All right. Okay, so you you are at the ICC. I think after that you went into the private sector. Where did you end up then? So I ended up working for a private intelligence firm in located in London, in the UK, and so shifting from an international organization to a private sector setting, the experience that I had in the private sector setting was that, uh, for example, at the ICC we were working or as an intern, you work on one case for the entirety of your internship at the private intelligence firm that I had worked on, I worked at, it was constantly evolving. So there were assignments, there were tasks different related to different client needs that were a revolving door in and out. And this experience really helps to expose you to what is there in terms of the private sector, but also in terms of how the pace that you work at in terms of case, let's say case, I'm going to say management, not in terms of the pace of the intensity of your work or the importance of your work, but in terms of how you will finish one task today and you can be on to a different case the very next day. Can you say the name of the organization? Is that the... Yes, absolutely. I worked at, it was Sibyline Limited. All right. And... Was there like an area of expertise you worked on and on like a certain problem set? Yes. So I was the North America intelligence analyst because being from being from Canada, also being bilingual, I was assigned to this region. And so my area of concentration was the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico. 
And the, I would say the the client set that I had were all North America based. So there was anything from daily reports, weekly reports, monthly reports, uh, specific, specific either location-based risk assessments to corporate investigations, CI as they had called it. Those were the, the assignments that I, I worked closely on with uh, also the South America, Latin America analyst. Cool. So you spent two years at Sibylline. I spent one year at Sibylline. Yes. One year. One. All right. yes. What was the reason for you to, to move on? So firstly, the reason, the first reason was that at Sibylline, I had actually been the, the situation with having a single citizenship from North America was that there were visa issues. I had actually been working in Sibylline in the UK on a working holiday visa. So that was also coming to an end, expiring. And then the it was very coincidental how it all happened was that I had actually applied for the position at the Senate of Canada, I believe a few months before I had even received an offer for Sibylline. And at the beginning of, I would say, April 2020, or it was right in the midst of the beginning months of the pandemic, I was mm -hmm. uh, contacted and asked if I was still interested in the position at the Senate, and it just fell into place so perfectly that I would be able to complete my contract at uh, Sibylline and then start the, the position at the Senate of Canada and be able to return home after four or five years of working, living, studying in Europe. Uh, was that for you? I mean, it must be difficult to be away from home, but did you feel that you wanted to go home or it was just like the circumstances presented in a way that you, that you went home? I would tend to lean at the time to the latter. So it was very much the circumstances that led to going home back to Canada. But the more that now I'm, it is my third year working at the Senate of Canada, and I've more realized that it was something that I had been wanting to go home after quite a while. As you said, it is difficult to be away from home for stretched periods of time and you know, the, the demands of our industry as well. It means that you can't always travel back home or spend extended periods of holiday with family. But uh, I would say at present, I'm, I'm quite content with the way that the, the circumstances rolled out. It's good when, when things fall into place. So you go back to Canada, you start your job at the Senate, what you're doing right now. What was your situation back then? How did the job start and, and what were you focusing on? So right now at the Senate of Canada, I am a security analyst. And as a security analyst, I work on the projects relevant to Parliament Hill. And the way that that started out was very interesting was that it was, uh, I had returned to Canada and I'm from Montreal, so I did not go straight to Montreal. I actually landed immediately in Ottawa at the capital, and I began working remotely with the team. So I hadn't actually met any of my colleagues until I think last year in person. Wow. Yes, wow. I hadn't because met. Because of COVID. Correct. Yes, I hadn't met yeah, yeah. anyone. I had met everyone virtually 
through teams, through virtual team building exercises, conversations, meetings, but I hadn't actually put a, a face physically in person to any of my colleagues until I would say the the tail end of 2021. That's pretty great. All right. And that's something that I'm really interested in because I got these questions and my clients have asked me about this too. You're working remote and can you still work with classified material and how does that work? Because you're working from home and is that limited or do you have to do any extra precautions? So absolutely. So um, as any institution or organization would have the, so there is certainly a policy that we have to adhere to. So throughout the uh, pandemic, when everyone was working more or less remotely, uh, remote work, those standards and policies must be adhered to. So with such information, of course, there are situations where it must be in person and those are non-negotiables. And then there are certain criteria and materials where you would consult and stick to the policy in order to ensure that you are dealing and you are handling all materials appropriately. Now you can go back to the office. Did that make your work more difficult, like looking back? We were able, even when I was working at Sibyline, it was remote for, I would say, 90% of my contract because of the, the circumstances with the pandemic. And I wouldn't say that working remotely made it any more difficult. It is nice to be in the office and to see your colleagues and to be able to discuss and also to have, um, it's a, it fosters a sense of camaraderie. But in terms of the work itself, I would not say that it has made it any more or less difficult with this uh, return to return to office or being physically present. Yeah, thank you so much for that because this is a question I get asked a lot because we work completely remote and certain clients, you know, we work on government contracts. Yep. They ask me, how do you get around this and how do you ensure that everything, you know, is handled in, in a correct manner? And I think we we do. So it's good to, to hear from, from a different side. So you're at the salad. Can you talk a little bit about what do you work on specifically or any like interesting cases or not insights, you don't have to give that, but like what is your area of focus? So uh, to answer this question, I do apologize. I'm a little bit limited in what I can answer. However, I can say that it is related to, you know, I can compare it to my experience at the international organizations. And I would say that to give a generalization, my work is, it does involve aspects of international cooperation and diplomacy and such. But I do tend to focus now more on matters that are pertinent to Canada, as anyone would be working in their national government. I think a lot of people when they hear Canada and intelligence, uh, they might frown a little bit as it's maybe not known as much for what intelligence capabilities or just purely for how Canada is seen in the international community. Can you say a little bit about the, I'm just trying to choose my words carefully, but the expertise that exists and where, like in, for example, where you look in the US or the UK, there is a very developed government sector as well as very developed private sector. 
like how does house intelligence viewed from the policymaker side and from the society and, and from your colleagues on intelligence? That's something I, I'm interested in now. So to answer this question, I will also answer very, I will try to think <laughs> of a, a very cautious way of answering it as well. But sitting from the Canadian perspective, I would say, and you had mentioned, you know, our, our neighbor, the U.S., uh, having very developed even either federal organizations or private sector, I would say that Canada is is there. We are certainly there, perhaps less seen, but it is certainly developed in the capabilities that it has. And I mean, for myself, I'm very proud to be a part of that, for that service uh, in the national context. But yeah, I think that that's where I will I will leave my answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. Can you talk about, I think we we've, in this podcast, we talked a lot about the role of, of open source intelligence of OSINT. And I think there's an overemphasis on tools. And a lot of people listen to this podcast. They want to know more about that. But I also want to know just about the process and the analytic rigor that is involved in, 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 in OSINT. And does that impact your, your current job and and, and and how do you like engage with that? So I would say that OSINT is a skill that, that that's essentially a core skill that I, or a core application that I had to employ from the very beginning, from my very first internship at the ICC. And it doesn't just stop there or it, it's a continuous development. So as you had mentioned, an overemphasis, uh, overemphasis with the tools it is more for the individual analyst and how they use these tools, as would be for any situation, right? You, the individual analyst, has to also know through experience, which I, in my, at, at the current stage I'm at, mid-career, I would say that experience and learning from peers, learning from senior analysts, learning from upper Management or people who are upper on the on the echelons of this uh, industry. This has been such an invaluable, invaluable asset for me is to learn because there's so much that you can learn in a training. There is so much that you can learn from listening to podcasts and what are the tools out there and how they can be applied. But how to use them is a is a different ballpark, and you know. You know how to use these tools, but also it's what is the information or how valuable or how actionable are the information or intelligence that you're inputting into these tools. Is there anything that any open source techniques or tools or databases that, that you that you use a lot or that you like to use? So I also have to be cautious and limit my my response. Yeah to this, so I do apologize. I, I will have to yeah, no respectfully uh, skip this question. Okay, no worries. So I think for me, what is interesting to to find out is, to, as you said, you're in, in, the mid, uh, in a mid-career point. And what are the most important experiences that you had that really shaped and, and helped you where you are now? And it can be personal experiences or professional, but I would like to know, like, what really think set you apart to, to get to where you are right now? I would say personally and professionally, it was a lot of the 
uh, international experiences. So not only completing graduate school in another continent, but also actively seeking to pursue or to complete my trainings and my internships in different organizations and in different countries. So it went from Italy to Sweden to uh, The Hague to Paris to London. And the reason why I say that these experiences are very valuable is because it built that network. So there was so much that I could learn in my courses and so much that I could learn from and apply in my traineeships or internships. But the connections that I've made and the uh, the exposure, the networks, those are those you can't, the only way that you can obtain those are through being in the being in the the country because you meet professionals from the same industry but in a different national context it's very much the way that i had met yourself i i don't know if i would have perhaps connected with you had i not been at the right place in the right time in the hague with the with the profile that i had at the time i could say the same about some of my many of my colleagues at the icc located all over the world because now I have colleagues who are either doing missions or assignments or have posts in all continents. I could quite quite literally say that I would know someone who is either working at an international organization or at uh, an NGO or any local organization. I would say almost quite literally every country. All right. Are there any specific experiences? that you can point at and say that really shaped you as a person, as a profession that you can that you can think about? I would say that the experience of being alone in this, uh, alone in the sense of navigating the, you know, not also not being from Europe and having spent my whole life in Canada up to the moment that I had moved and I started off in Italy was this was an experience that did shape me in terms of the the independence but also the resourcefulness of finding the 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 right callings for pursuing this career so not only at the ICC but that did lead into you know, exposure into what else is out there? How can I advance my career? What else can I do? Or what are the the right opportunities or the right connections that I need to make in order to succeed in this field? And it's similar to what we had spoke last time, was that I had met persons who had professionals who had given me advice. So following the ICC, it was UNESCO working on extremely interesting initiatives and projects at the headquarters in Paris and moving there alone, f- figuring it all out again, because every time I had to go to another country, it was another visa process, another moving, opening, even down to opening accounts or figuring out the, the city and all the amenities. It's a, it's a humbling experience, but it's also a huge personal development and and growth to to have to navigate all of that while completing your internship and while building those networks and gaining that experience. 
Yeah, it's amazing because you're traveling by yourself as a, and as a woman. I think yes, that makes you a bit more vulnerable, if I if I may say that. Absolutely, I, I do agree with that. I do. And I think for me, like what what I'm what I'm interested in, and one of the reasons why I set this podcast up is because I want to demystify the process and and to show that we are all humans and we have all these experiences and people often only see like where you are but they don't see or you got where you are and which is why I want to like dissect a bit you know your your journey and uh, I want to ask you because I think there's something that we have in common we both come from minority backgrounds did that impact your journey and 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 how did your or, or do you think about it? So it it has. I would say that it it did impact my journey in the sense of making me more aware of mm. my minority background. I'm not I'm not sure how to put that into words, but there was a point where I know what you mean. Yes. <laughs> 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 Lightly put, um I mean I'm not shy or ashamed to admit that there was a point where I was submitting CVs and my my full name is Kelly Christine Wong and I would put Kelly Christine W and whether that was you know uh, an coincidence or experiment I did notice that often when I had omitted my surname that I would receive either a callback and again I this could be purely coincidental but there were situations where it was more, how can I say, put in your face that you uh, that you might be that you, you that there are certain perhaps situations where your background or certain physical features uh, were taken into consideration, perhaps. And when I was writing, for example, my my resumes, uh, I had been coached that there were certain situ- uh, certain resume writing tips that say include a photo and include your nationality because it humanizes your application. But at one point I, I had stopped doing that because I didn't quite mm-hmm. think that that was helping <laughs> my situation. Or relevant. <laughs> or relevant, correct. But this was, a, the, this was a tip that I had received and of course being, you know, a, a fresh graduate and trying to get a position, of course, you're going to take the advice of of persons who are more experienced than you. But at some point, you sort you, you sort it out on your own. And I would say that, yes, uh, it wasn't always easy, you know, coupled with being, as you said, a, a woman and being exposed to certain different vulnerabilities, also traveling alone, moving alone, re-stabilizing yourself alone in a new country. And um, so I that that uh, we could this could be an entire subject on on itself. Yeah, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but good on you for 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 going through that and and also exposing yourself to that. I think that's very important. I would say this: people listening that might have a similar journey as yourself or as me, because uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think if you have to change your name or the way your name sounds or you spell it or whatever get opportunities then maybe there's not an opportunity that you want in the first place and, yes. and, and the problem is you will never know that's the issue you'll never know that you got Correct. it you exactly. know, because you did that or, or you didn't right 
But I I think I'm experienced enough to know that it definitely plays a role. More opportunities in my life as an owner of my own business that I've gotten as an employee. And that that is a fact that I know that, and I know my experience. So yeah, that's very interesting. And and I, I, I don't really get the chance to ask that guest on this podcast. So that's why I wanted to know it's from you. And because I think this was interesting for people to, to know like, hey, you're going to meet struggles, but you have to just get through them. And, uh, and that's what gets you where you need to be, I guess. And not give up. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, all right. You're now at the Canadian. You've been there now a couple of years. What's next for you? Well, it is a continuous, continuous growth. And of course, I'm definitely, definitely not complete with my journey in the industry. And I, I'm looking to, to see what, what other ways that I can, let's, for, for lack of a better word, put myself out there and to, you know, as you said, everyone only sees the, the resume or the, the LinkedIn profile, and they don't see all the steps that come with it. So that is, it's, I think it is most definitely part of my, my journey, my growth, my trajectory in this domain. And I would say what is next is, I'm not sure, certain what the future holds, but I am definitely not quite, not finished with, with my role in intelligence or analysis and uh, service in this industry. Do you, um, and you know I've got a, a tissue on this, is there an industry, a job, an area, a country that you would like to like to work in? I wouldn't say there's, there's a certain geographic area that I would prefer or that I have a preference to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to concentrate in. I would surely say that North America and uh, some certain countries in Europe would definitely be within my, my realm of expertise. But I would very much like to continue and in my career or to really stabilize myself and make that my uh, professional calling in security, intelligence analysis, continuing with working with uh, intergovernmental or international organizations or even federal organizations, just all of that, let's say that international collaboration is uh, definitely within what I was trained in and what I see myself continuing my career in. You definitely know how to speak like an intelligent professional, so uh, <laughs> you're not tying yourself down to anything. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I know the last time we talked about this before the podcast, you mentioned that you like doing mentorship and, 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 and advice and guidance. Is that something you would want to do more of, maybe specifically, and that's something you thought about? Oh, yes, absolutely. So currently, I, uh, I'm a mentor for my, my first university, uh, McGill University in Montreal, and I've recently joined the mentorship program at the GCA, so my the university located in Italy. There are different branches, but this one is a global campus alumni. So I do have quite a handful of students, and these this mentorship uh, relationship or the objective of these mentorships are to connect 
alumni or persons who are established in the field with either final year students, recently graduated students, or even first year students to help them navigate this because as we were talking about, it's not it's not quite a, a linear path in this industry. So to have someone, I, I myself did have um, a mentor as well to understand uh, yeah. how I could build from, from the ground up in this field. And so this is something that I'm extremely, absolutely interested in continuing. And um, even if it's not through the university services, I, I often get messages or receive emails on LinkedIn or to my personal email of uh, with questions from young professionals or even um, more established professionals asking for you know discussions or for tips and it is it is a pleasure to organize a virtual call to respond to any specific career building questions and uh, I would uh, not definitely not turn that away be careful what you wish for because I get bombarded by people ask ah. to give them the emails of people that are on the podcast oh, <laughs> but uh, i guess if they want to find they can find you on linkedin but uh, and um, <laughs> so i already apologize uh, in advance for the amount of people that are going to reach out to you no issues at all uh, what what do you have as an advice for a young professional or a career professional for that matter from your perspective I would the, the advice that I would I would leave is to stay the course. It isn't easy. Often from myself when I see the profiles or I hear the the professional journeys of other people in the industry, it can be intimidating because you see these profiles, you see all of the the successes, but again as we said, you don't see the, the struggles. You don't see the sometimes even the, the failures that came with that. So the advice that I would give, it's more of a, I would say, a, I don't know, a character or a, or a motivation is to, to stay the course and to understand that this was not built in a day. It, it took a long time to build and that as a young professional in this field, it will take the time that it needs to take to where you need to get, but to also not be shy to reach out to to those persons with those profiles. If you see them either via LinkedIn or you read one of their papers or you listen to a podcast and you hear of them, don't be shy to reach out because through networking, that, that itself opens so many doors. Yeah, that's great advice. So at the moment, professionally or just for fun, what are you reading? What are you listening? What are you watching? Is there anything that you're doing in that regard? So recently I have been reading a book. I believe the, t the full title is called Top Secret Canada. And it is about... Right. <laughs> it is a, a very interesting book. And it goes to, it, it goes to explain how Canada's... Uh, intelligence services and other federal orga organizations, institutions were created, and what are some of the the challenges is the the challenges they face, and how they cooperate with one another. So it's very interesting to see from from the foundations of how such services were built uh, in in Canada. 
And in terms of watching, there was a, there's an interesting one, which uh, I think as uh, intelligence analysts, we would find interesting to watch the night agent. And oh yeah, I've heard that. I have not watched. It. Yes, yes. So it's it's quite um, it it. I think it would. I think you would enjoy it. I'm gonna watch it. Have you seen the uh, the diplomat? I have not, but I've also been recommended. It's been highly recommended to. Yeah, to I, I, I think it was a really good. One. Yeah, I, I think we we watched it like in three days. Oh. Well, it's, it's it's a really it's a good one. I can recommend it. Um, they are beasts that, that are dramatized, but I think like if you're in this and you know like oh that's interesting, you know, like how they how they talk about things. But uh, yeah, I found that fascinating. Do you have any questions for me? I would say yes. I do have a question for you. Would be how did it? it, it I think it it flows or it continues the conversation on the topic that we had just a few minutes ago, how did you come to Grey Dynamics, the idea, you establishing this, if I may ask? I think I've I was asked this question last week, but I will give you, this is a bit of a, you give me a bit of variation of the question. So when I was back in, in East Africa, I think it was in 2014, and I was sitting down in a compound, I was like, what am I doing? Because I'm working and I have no social life. And I see like everybody on Instagram and, you know, they're going all the way to their lives and their families and whatever. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just here. I felt a bit stuck. So when I was doing the the work that I was doing, I felt that analysis was not really there. It was mainly like, you know, develop a target package and then do the next steps, arrest or whatever. And I felt a bit stuck in that. And and um, so when I decided to go back to school, that was in 2014, I had an idea what I wanted because I knew I didn't want to come back and continue doing what I was doing. So when I got uh, to Brunel, where I was studying for one year, which is maybe a year or so before I met you the first time, me and uh, say you came who found the great amendments with me, started talking and, and it was just like almost daydreaming about what we wanted to do after school. And I guess throughout our like countless hours of talking, we just came up with this idea of setting up a company, which conceptually was very different than what we are today. It was never thought to be this public as we are. We had pretty public profile. But that was never the case when we started. And there was a lot of technology involved back then, less so today. And that was in 2016. And now we got an opportunity to work on a report even before the company was formally established somewhere in Africa. And it was written by a private intelligence company in London. And the client was like, hey, we, we have this, but we don't really, it's not really useful for us. So do you think you can do better? And we were like, all right, can we have a look? And we had to sign an NDA and everything. We started reporting. We knew who wrote it. And we were like, oh yeah, this is not, this is not really good. And we were like, if this is going to be sold for this amount of money, we can bench up on this, right? For half of that, <laughs> right? And not knowing like how the, the world works and, and, and uh, how the game is played. But. So that's like, we did that. We did really well. 
we got work from that. And then, well, something here, we started building in 2017. We lean heavily on like machine learning algorithms and, and like collecting data and I'm making that more uh, usable and, and, and processful to, to conduct analysis on. But as we went on, I felt like a lot of people are doing that and Phil is not really intelligent, not really actionable. It's just telling you what happened and doesn't give you the so what and what next. So I was like, hey, I understand that companies and, and governments and organizations want to know what's going on, what, you know, what they should do. And I know that technology is an important component, but what I knew that I could compete with and I could do really well is, as you mentioned, I have a network and I started leveraging the network more and more. And particularly in Africa. So when we get clients and, and they want to know, right, I know what's going on, but I want to know what that person or that industry is thinking of. You know, so that's something that we set ourselves apart with. And I feel like the human intelligence side of things is, is I think for us now, what we do offline. Online is a little bit different. It's a bit of a mixture of everything, but so more all source, but that's kind of like how Great Dynamics came to be, you know, as way as I can say it. To hear that from my personal perspective and opinion, it's it's just impressive. It, that's all that I can really put, put as in words. I mean, it's just as you said, it was a an idea that was conceived while you were finishing your studies at Brunel, and I mean, likewise, in such a short period of time from when I had met you and you had introduced to me the gray dynamics as a firm mm -hmm. and to to reconnect half a decade later and to see where it's at now and the the services that or the, the liaisons that you you have and that you provide it's um really thank you for keeping in touch thank you <laughs> it, it, it means a lot there's one other question i wanted to ask you uh please i kind of because I think this is uh, what people also be really interested in. You speak a lot of languages. I mean, I speak a lot of languages, but I mean, you you speak a lot of languages. Can you give, because this is advice that I always, people ask me this all the time. What languages do you think are important, especially if you want to work in intelligence? And what advice do you give to learn new languages? So I would certainly say the, uh, not that any language is more important than the other, but in terms of you know, just the the general uh, industry that we work in, the UN have six official languages. So uh, I'm not telling you to go learn all six <laughs> fluently, but if you can gain a a certain level of fluidity in those, those would be very helpful to your career. What I found that helps learn a language is to immerse yourself in it. So there's so much that you can do with books. There's so much that you can do with Duolingo, the little owl. And there's so much that you can do with Babbel. But to what's helped me is to speak with uh, either friends who have, uh, who, who are native speakers of that language, uh, whether that's just a telephone conversation. And, you know, I, I've asked my friends if they're listening, they'll know who, who I'm speaking to. Well, please speak to me and in Italian, so I can practice. Please write to me, text to me uh, in Italian. They will 
they, they'll know who they are. But that really helps because those are the uh, you learn on the on the spot, right? The the grammatical skills, the fluidity, the um, the language, the how can I say the expressions? So that's a that's an advice that I that I would give, and also definitely, if and when you know time permits to obtain, it's an advice that I should I should also take myself is to obtain uh, some sort of certification so that you can add that to a, a sort of official certificate to your profile that you know I have C one or I have B two in language A or B. Mm-hmm. So that would. Uh, that's that's definitely the advice I would give. Yeah, languages is, is uh, I would say is a very important skill, or multilingual is an important skill to have in in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's one of the uh, one of the main positive things I think of growing up bilingual is that that part of your brain automatically right. gets developed, right? Yes. So uh, so it makes it easier to to learn other languages. So I, I don't know how that is for somebody who didn't have that. I guess it's a bit more of a, of a struggle. I want to, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know it's very early for you right now, your day. And so I, I really appreciate you making the time to, to do the podcast and sharing your story. And it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, a very impressive story. And yeah, I, I want to thank you so much, really, for being a guest. Uh, I feel like the time has flown by really quickly because we've been only talking for an hour. Well, I would like to thank you for for having me and for for reaching out and for maintaining this contact uh, throughout the years. I mean, yes, the the time has flown by in the podcast, but even in the amount of years, it's it's quite. Uh, it feels like we spoke yesterday when I was still an intern. Yeah. And here we are, five years later. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I remember very vividly because when I spoke to you then, I think I had my laptop and I was visiting my parents. Uh, and, I, and, and I was sitting in like my old bedroom uh, doing a meeting. <laughs> and it was just funny. Like to think back now, so much has changed in my life. Not just professionally but personally too so yeah it's uh it's interesting how uh, how time you know flies how life changes is there any like last thoughts you have that you would want to share mention i wouldn't uh the only last thoughts that i would have would be to to advise um professionals who are either starting off or at mid-career uh as myself as i've said already is that it is an uphill I won't sugarcoat that, but it is a, it's a very worthy uphill. It'll be worth it. Great. Uh, that's that's a, as good of a, of a parting take that you can have. For, for everybody listening, if you, if you made this far, thank you so much, guys, for all the support. I know the podcast has been not always on as much as, uh, as it is normally because I'm traveling a lot. But I appreciate everybody for listening and, and uh, for the, the comments, the, the reviews. So I appreciate that. Please continue doing that because it helps me. It helps us improve and helps this podcast being found by more people. I hope in the next podcast I can make a big announcement. We're working on something. So yeah, stay tuned for that, guys. Uh, yeah, continue to follow us. And if you have any questions, please reach out. I'll put Christine's uh, LinkedIn in, uh, in the description you want to reach out to her and yeah thank you guys and again thank you christine for taking the time
podcast sorry Donnie. you're using your middle name sorry thank you thank you very much for having me <laughs> <laughs>